I especially want to welcome you if this is your first time here with us, whether it's the first time here in one of these venues or, or one of the first times here uh, at our church. We're delighted to have you as our guest today. Um, I want to start by sharing with you a word of thanks. If you don't know, we hosted an uh, annual conference this last week. It was a gathering of about a thousand uh, pastors and lay leaders from United Methodist Churches around Central Texas. Uh, they were here Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, and about half the day Wednesday. And we had hundreds of volunteers uh, who were literally stationed at every door, uh, greeting and welcoming and, and sharing just a, a wonderful hospitality with all those delegates. I, I had the opportunity to be one of the delegates and just to walk around and hear people express uh, great thanks for you and, and for your service. And, and I was very proud of you. I want you to know. So if you're one of those volunteers uh, that was here this last week for annual conference, whether driving one of the shuttle buses, manning a door, doing many of the behind-the-scenes things that, that happened uh, to make that conference such a success, receive uh, both my thanks and Pastor Mike's thanks for the way in which you, you served your church and served about 300 United Methodist churches this week uh, who were here for that, for that conference. And for us, uh, the chaos continues. Uh, we will welcome another 1,000 people to our campus in this next week uh, from a different age and life stage. The, the young ones will be here for vacation Bible camp, and we'll have a whole new group, uh, many of you uh, doing it both weeks, but uh, many more who will volunteer and, and support our kids through vacation Bible camp this week for our evening session and for our, our morning session. So thank you in advance, and be prepared to come back next week, and I'll say thank you again, because I know it's going to be a great week here uh, on our campus. Uh, this is the third week uh, in our series, The Gospel According to Disney, and what I would normally do right now is kind of reset where we've been, talk about the first two messages, so in, just in case you missed those, if this is your first time, uh, and also share with you kind of the key theme that we've been looking at. And I'm going to do all that in just a minute, but before I do that, I want to read to you our scripture for today. So if you have your Bible, the first thing I'd like you to do is close it. And I want you to set it aside, okay? So if you have your Bible set aside, if you have your notes to write things down, I want you to set that aside as well. And, and I really want to encourage you to, to close your eyes, to bow your heads, and to just, just to center yourself uh, as I share with you these words uh, from Proverbs chapter 2. So the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to take a deep breath together, okay? So both downstairs and upstairs, if you will breathe with me, breathe in and breathe out. And one more time, breathe in and breathe out. And now I invite you to hear these words, not from Isaiah 22, from Proverbs 2. It says, my son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, if you turn your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you, 
and understanding will guard you. Now, if you can raise your eyes for just a second. We're actually going to take another deep breath, two more. And if you have your notes section on the, the back of your bulletin, I want you to pull that out. And there's a, there should be a pen in the seat in front of you. I'm going to read to you these 11 verses again. And as I read to you the second time, what I would like you to do is just to allow uh, a word or a phrase to, to come into your mind. If there's something that jumps off uh, the page at you if, as you hear it, I want you just to jot that, that word or that phrase down as I share these 11 verses with you one more time. It says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, if you turn your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. So as we dive into this third message, uh, and as I reset for you a little bit of this series, I want those words to just kind of marinate in your heart and in your mind as we move through this message. So two weeks ago, we started this message, and I did so by sharing with you a brief history of the Walt Disney Company. We talked about the the Disney Company began as a dream between two brothers uh, in the early 30s who wanted to make cartoons. That was the original idea. Let's get together. Let's form a company. Let's make cartoons. And that dream of of those two brothers has grown into today uh, a multi-billion dollar company, the largest entertainment company in the entire world, and over the course of decades has become a a company that has influenced American culture in tremendous ways. And and what we said is, when you look at the Disney story and, and you ask yourself the question, how did that happen? How did this dream between two brothers to make cartoons, which probably sounded a little crazy to their parents at the time, that that's what they wanted to do with their life. How did that dream grow into what Disney is today? And we said that the business of Disney, the company of Disney has really built itself around their ability to tell compelling stories. That's what they do. They tell compelling stories, stories that that touch our hearts and our minds, that that, that invite us to line up to the theater every time a new movie comes out. And by the way, one came out this last week or a week before. Many of you have probably seen it because that's what Disney has done so well. Now, what's interesting when you look at their catalog of movies, we said, is that you could make the argument that Disney tells the same story over and over again. There's a new cast of characters, there's a new selection of songs, there's perhaps a new world that is created, but it's the same story over and over again. It's the story of good winning in the end. It's the story of someone embracing their need for a second chance. It's the story of the world being set right again, uh, of someone who might be lost uh, being able to be found. It's about overcoming tremendous odds. It's the same story over and over and over again. We might call it a redemption story. A story that reminds us of the story of Jesus, but also reminds us of our own story as well. And this was the central theme we said was going to guide us through this whole series, that if you are a follower of Jesus, 
If you've said yes to being a disciple of Jesus, then you have claimed a new goal for your life. And that goal is that your life is meant to be a redemptive story. So, so the arc of these narratives that, that, that inspire us, that we find compelling and meaningful, that we want to spend our money to go see, your life is supposed to look like that. Your life is meant to be a redemptive story, a story of someone who overcomes insurmountable odds, a story of good winning in the end, a, a story of someone embracing their opportunity for a second chance. Our lives are meant to be redemptive stories. And so we've been looking at these movies for the sake of asking ourselves the question, how can we live a better story? So in the first week, just to give you some examples of what we're talking about, if this is your first time here, in the first week, we looked at Lion King, and in that story, we find something, we find many of the stories that Disney has told, which is a central character who has to overcome a tragic circumstance. So in The Lion King, for Simba, he has to overcome the death of his father. He has to deal with this dramatic negative turn in his life, this negative turn in his story. And what we talked about in relationship to ourselves and the stories that we are living is that God often wants to use those negative turns that we experience in our life. God wants to use them for good. God is not, the, God is not in the business of creating negative turns in our life, but God is in the business of redeeming negative turns in our life. And so even though there, there are these things that we walk through that are painful, that cause suffering for us in our life, it might be that God might want to use for good something that you have walked through that has been really, really bad. If we would only let him work in those places in our life. Last week we looked at Aladdin. And you remember Johnny shared with you that Aladdin is called many things in the very beginning of the movie. He's called a street rat. He's called riffraff, which I don't even know what that means, but it just sounds bad. He's, he's called a thief. He is, he is seen as, as someone who has no value. And yet this uh, unlikely hero ends up saving the kingdom. And we said when we think about our own stories, part of what that reminds us of is that God often sees more in us than we see in ourselves. That God often sees our potential as more than we may think it might be. And that, that uh, we, we ourselves might be the unlikely people who God would work through. God does his best work through people who feel unqualified for the work that they are called to. Uh, this week we turn to our third movie. And we're going back a few decades to 1964 to the movie that won five Academy Awards. Uh, that movie was... No, it was Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins was released in uh, the mid-60s. Again, winner of five Academy Awards. And just in case you haven't seen Mary Poppins or the Broadway show that has since come out, I'm going to do my best to give you a little synopsis of, of the movie. So the movie is about an English family living in 1910 who is in need of a new nanny. They need a new nanny because the old one has run off. She is tired of dealing with the kids. She's tired of chasing them down. They won't behave. And so she leaves. And in the very beginning of the movie, that's that's what we have. We have an English family who is looking for a new nanny. And Mary Poppins flies in to take the post. Now, once Mary Poppins is officially hired as the new nanny of this family, the next 35 to 45 minutes of the movie you kind of follow along all the adventures that the kids have with Mary Poppins, such as unpacking her magic carpet bag, cleaning up the playroom, jumping into a sidewalk picture, 
taking, uh, having a break with penguins in an animation sequence, um, uh, riding a merry-go-round where the horses come off and they, 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 they trot on through the uh, English countryside, laughing so hard they fly up in the air. I mean, it's a really good storyline here that's going, uh, all, these, all these crazy things that happen. The tension enters into the story as the adventures continue And the father of these two kids, Jane and Michael, grows increasingly frustrated with Mary Poppins because he wants his children to learn the seriousness of life. And so he confronts Mary Poppins with this, and Mary Poppins quickly agrees with his assessment of her skills and and instead says to him, well, you should take the kids with you to work tomorrow so that they can learn the seriousness of life. And that's what he does. He takes his two kids to work with him at the bank. When he gets to the bank, he introduces his two children to the owners of the bank, his employers, who then proceed to try to talk Michael, the young son, into investing his money into the bank, the money that he wants to use to go outside and feed the birds. As this conversation continues, the owner of the bank grows more and more agitated with Michael's childlike curiosity and wonder with feeding the birds. And what he ends up doing is taking the money from the young boy so that he can invest it in the bank. This sends Michael into a fit because the, man, the owner of the bank will not give him back his money. And so he starts screaming in the bank lobby, they won't give me my money. They won't give me my money. Which leads to all the customers in the bank going crazy and thinking, the bank won't give anyone their money, causing a bank run. Then the kids leave. Is everybody following this? I mean, it's... It's sort of a complicated story. I will confess to you that I had not seen Mary Poppins in about 20 years uh, since I was a young child. I got it last week so I could watch it in preparation for this message. And, And as I'm watching this show and we get to this point where there's this bank run and the kids run off, I'm thinking to myself, watching this show as an adult is much different than watching it as a child. Like, I think this was the point where I turned the movie off or went and did something else. You know, I remembered... All the adventures that Mary Poppins had with the kids. I remembered the, the merry-go-round and running through the, through the countryside. I remember the scene where the kids are all laughing and they're up floating in the ceiling. I remember the songs, and, but I didn't remember the bank run, you know, and all the things that happened. And, and as I was watching the movie, I couldn't help but ask myself this question. What in the world is this movie about? Like, what's it really about? And you may think, well, it's, it's about Mary Poppins. I mean, the, the movie bears her name. It's about, it's about this mysterious character who enters into the life of this English family who floats in and who can do some pretty amazing magical things. The, the story must be about Mary Poppins. But, you know, what I thought was, even though Julie Andrews won Best Actress for this role, the Mary Poppins character is really a boring character. Like, she can do some pretty cool things, but, but there's nothing going on in her story. In her life, she's just there and then she's gone. She's, she's not really an a interesting character to me. Well, you may think, well, the story's about Bert, this, this, this other mysterious character who shows up playing various parts in the movie. He's a, he's a one-man band. He's a sidewalk artist. He's a chimney sweep. He's, he's all over the movie just showing up in, in different places. But no, the story's really not about Bert. Well, maybe the story is about Jane and Michael, these two kids, and, and where they begin is just these crazy kids who want to have some adventure, and, and, they, and they grow and, and learn some things about their life and their, and their family. But, you know, the story is really not about them either. The story is about Dad. 
The story is about, the story is about George Bank, the, the, the bank employer who desperately wants his kids to learn the seriousness of life. In the very beginning of the movie, there is a song that George sings. I am not going to sing it to you, but I will share with you some of the words from the song. This is at the very beginning when he comes home, the last nanny has left because the kids have run off. George has evidently had a good day at the office. He's excited to be home. And these are the words from the song that he sings. He says, I feel a surge of deep satisfaction, much as a king astride his noble steed. When I return from daily strife to hearth and wife, how pleasant is the life I lead. I run my home precisely on schedule. At 6.01, I march through my door. My slippers, sherry, and pipe are due at 6.02. Consistent is the life I lead. It's grand to be an Englishman in 1910. King Edward's on the throne. It's the age of men. I'm the lord of my castle, which is usually what I say when I get home. Uh, The sovereign, the liege. I treat my subjects, servants, children, wife with a firm but gentle hand. It's, It's 6.03 and the heirs to my dominion are scrubbed and tubbed and adequately fed. And so I'll pat them on the head and send them off to bed. Ah, lordly is the life I lead. Now the irony of the song is that while George is dancing around his living room and celebrating this consistent, pleasant, lordly life that he leads, his children are missing. They're not home. They're not just finished up their baths. They're not waiting for dinner. No one knows where the children are. They have run off. That's the irony of the song, that he is celebrating this pleasant, easy a consistent life that he leads, and yet his life is really in chaos. They don't even know where the kids are. When the kids are found, uh, they, they were out in the park flying a kite, and they come home and they ask their dad, Dad, will you fly a kite with us? And he says, I would never give my time to such nonsense. When his wife later protests uh, and talks to George about his relationship with his kids, he says they have to learn the honest truth despite their youth. When Mary Poppins comes to the kids after she convinces George to, to take them to the office, she, she tricks him into doing that so that, that he can teach them the seriousness of life. She comes and, and she tells the kids, your, your dad's going to take you to work tomorrow. And they, they look at her confused and Michael says, he's never taken us anywhere. When, when the run on the bank occurs and chaos happens in, in the lobby there and the kids run away and, 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 uh, and Bert finds the children and, and tries to comfort them and asking them, what, what has gone wrong? What are they doing? This is what Michael says about his dad. He says, he doesn't even like us. And Bert, in offering his comfort, this is, this is what he says about George's character as he's talking to George's children. He says, sometimes a person we love regardless of how hard he tries, cannot see past the end of his nose. When the kids are returned to their home and they go to bed, Bert spends some time with George and in the song that he sings, he says this, you've got to grind, grind, grind at that grindstone. Though childhood slips like sand through a sieve and all too soon they've up and grown and then they've flown And it's too late for you to give. Now, at this point, you may be asking the question, okay, we read Proverbs 2, 
And then we talked about Mary Poppins. Where is he going with this? But maybe some of you know what it's like to love someone who despite all that they try, they simply can't see past the end of their nose. Or maybe there are some here today who who know what it's like to grind, grind, grind at that grindstone. Not fully appreciating all that is being lost along the way. And if that's you, I suspect you know where I'm going with this message, which is why you'd rather me stop talking right now. But I'm not going to. I asked you to write down some words that jumped out at you from, from Proverbs 2. Here, here, here's a few that I, would, that I would say. The proverb says to accept my words, to store up my commands, to turn your ear to wisdom, to apply your heart to understanding, to, to look for it like you would look for a hidden treasure so that you will understand what is right and just and fair. Wisdom will enter you, understanding will guard you, and you will have the capacity to see beyond the end of your nose. Why is it that some of us live lives where we feel like we are grinding away every single day, seemingly going nowhere, and others of us live our lives with deep passion and conviction and seem to have a sense of the sacredness and beauty and the holiness of life? How do you get there? How how, how do you go from from living the life that George Banks was living at the beginning of of the movie to to the one that he lives after? Well, Well, the movie shares with you one idea of how that might happen. You lose your job. That's what happens to George. He gets fired. He experiences a dramatic, again, negative turn in his life. And for some of us, that's what it takes. It takes us getting slapped upside the head to to understand that the life that we are living is not the life that we intend to live. And the idea is simply this, that living a better story, if that's our desire, if if our life is about living a redemptive story, it requires a proper understanding of the story that we are living right now. It requires that we in some ways step out of ourselves and are able to look at the life that we are living and the way that we are investing our life and the way that we are spending our life and to ask ourselves the question, are, are we okay with how this life is going and where this story is heading right now? Or is there something that needs to change? How does that change? Does it take the negative turn, the dramatic event to send us in a new way? Or is there, in fact, another option? Is there, in fact, another way that we can move from a life that, that seems to be grinding and grinding and grinding against the grindstone to a life where we start investing ourselves in the things that really matter and understand the story that we are living right now? I think there is another option. The other option is discipline reflection. It's discipline reflection. It's taking the time every single day to turn your ear towards wisdom. To search for it, the, the proverb says, as you would for a sacred treasure. To spend time every single day renewing the why of your life. Why are you here and what do you really care about and how do you really want to invest your life? 
It's disciplined reflection. This is the, uh, the phrase that I have shared with you before, that daily direction determines our ultimate destination. It's the direction that we set every single day of our life that determines whether or not we end up at the place that we want to go. Whether or not we have that moment in life one day when we can sit back and, uh, and rock in the rocking chair and say, you know what, the life that I live, it mattered. I gave it to the things that I wanted to give it to. The people that I loved uh, knew how much I treasured them. The daily direction of our life determines that ultimate destination. And if we lack that, this is what happens to all of us. Regardless of how gifted and skilled you are, for all of us, when we lack that, we drift. Away from those things that really matter. Away from those things that we really want to invest our life in into the things that just demand our time and attention each and every day, rather than those things that we want our life to really be about. It's daily direction. It's that every single day consistent practice of asking yourself a few questions. And I want to suggest to you three questions that you might ask yourself every single day. The first question is, where am I heading? In other words, if you could step out of yourself for a moment and to look down at your life, where would you be heading? Which direction are you going? And are you okay with that direction? Do you want to end up at the place where where you are going? Where, if, if you had that opportunity to step outside yourself, where would you find tremendous clarity in a place where right now you might have nothing but confusion? Where are you heading in your life right now? What might you be missing? What might you be missing? What is it that may be going on inside your heart or your head, uh, uh, a tension or a frustration with with a loved one or a situation? What is it about that that, that that is confusing to you? What might you be missing? Another way you might ask yourself the question is, how can I look at the circumstances of my life in a different way? How could, I, how could I turn it a little bit and, and see this in, in a different way? What is it that I might be missing simply because I'm living my life with blinders on, unaware of what is going on around me? And, and then a really, really important question that I think we should all ask ourselves every single day. Where do I really, really want to go? Where do you really want to go? Not what do you really, really need to do. Not that question. But where do you really, really want to go? What do you want people to say about your life and what you cared about and what you believed in? What do you really, really want to do with your life? Where do you want to go? Um, I've got four simple words that for me, I reset around these every single day. They're they're, they're where I want to go. They're what I want my my life to be about. And I write these words down every single day because it just reminds me among all the other things that I got going on. This is what really matters to you, David. This is what you want your life to be about. Don't get lost in the confusion. You want to help people follow Jesus. That's the force, that's the passion, that's the energy, that is the enthusiasm of your life. And so among all the other things that you got to do, and they're all important things and they need to get done, don't forget that your life is about helping people follow 
Jesus, what's yours? What's your driving passion? What's your energy? What is it that needs to be renewed in you every single day so that you can know what story you are really living? And you can make whatever adjustments need to be made when you find yourself drifting from that path. The irony of of the beginning of the movie is that George has no idea what his life is about. But by the end of the story, after the tragic circumstance and the negative turn, he knows that his life is about his kids. His life is about their future. His life is about investing in them. His life is about the next generation and the way in which he is, he is living for them as, as their dad. And so today and tomorrow and the next day and the day after that, I want to invite you to ask yourself the question, where am I heading? What might I be missing? And where do I really want to go? Let's pray. Gracious God, we confess to you that we often live our lives aimlessly. We find ourselves turned around and confused amidst all the things that demand our time and energy and attention. And there are moments, Lord, moments of clarity when we realize that for weeks or months or for years, we've been heading nowhere. And we need a new path. And so I pray, Lord, that you would wake us up from our sleep. That you would forgive us of our confusion. That you would direct us towards the life we are meant to live. And the story that our lives are meant to share. Help us know where we need to go, Lord. And what steps we need to take to find that right path again. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.